We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. So this year at Politicon, an annual political convention that I love, this year it was in Nashville, I created and moderated a panel called Being Black in the Age of Trump. I wanted to get some really smart black people talking about what it feels like to be black right now. It's painful, I feel, to be black in this moment. I feel under assault, and I wanted to see if others felt the same way. So I reached out to a slew of people who I know and love, and all of them said yes. So we had a massive panel. We had all these awesome people like April Ryan, Malcolm Nance, Ellie Mistold, Lexi McCammon, Maya Wiley, and Brianna Gray. This is the conversation we had at Politicon in front of a few hundred people on stage. I'm proud of how open, how honest, how real people were, but the challenge of being black in the age of Trump. It's a special live Politicon edition of Torre Show. We're going to have the ultimate black Politicon panel. This was my idea. I wanted to get all my friends. So come on, all these people I know and love, people you know and love. Y'all know April Ryan. Y'all know Malcolm Nance. Good. Y'all know Ellie Mistal. People know Lexi McCammond. Uh, hello. She's big shit. Maya Wiley. Brianna Gray with the Bernie Sanders campaign. And, you know, I just, I wanted to get my smartest and coolest friends who were here to talk about how we feel about what's going on with the Trump administration, just life under Trump as black people, because it's been hard. (laughs) I feel rejected. I feel rebuked. I feel all the joy that we got out of being under Obama sort of erased and pushed back. I feel the country sliding back, especially against what we have wanted in our soul. And so often... Black people have this stiff upper lip and we act like nothing bothers me. I'm fine. I'm used to this. You know, our ancestors had it harder. We're going to soldier through. But sometimes we need that moment of like group therapy almost to talk about like, yeah, this is hard. And I want to hear people talk about how they feel about the being black in the era of Trump. And April, I'm going to start with you and just go down the line this way. 
because you have been in the figurative firing line, talking directly to him, having him attack you personally. How do you feel about being black in this era? How do I feel about being black in this era? Well, first of all, let me start off by saying I've written a book, Being Under Fire, mm-hmm. uh, and it deals with race. Um, I'm going to make this clear. I love being a black woman, period. I don't uh, apologize for it. I'm not trying to ask anybody to make any special allowances for me. But at the same time, because of the uniqueness of me, because I am a black woman in that White House who's been there for 22 years, Mm. under four presidents now, for some strange reason, I am now considered the enemy. Um, When I ask questions, particularly about a community that's underserved, has the highest numbers of negatives in almost every category. This is not myth. This is not conjecture. This is fact. You could Google this. I am called out. Personal attacks made on me. I'm told to go gather the Congressional Black Caucus together for a meeting. I'm told by the guy who wears a green shirt. Yeah. I'm told by a guy who wears a green shirt on Dancing with the Stars who can't dance. Stop shaking my head. And another press secretary who just left here, thank God, um, made personal attacks at me. And because of all of that, because of all of that, I'm now having to have security, had to move my home. You know, it's ridiculous. All because I ask questions about, Mr. President, do you really understand the meaning of taking the knee? Mr. President, Mm. would you apologize now to the exonerated five who used to be the Central Park five? You know, Mr. President, are you a racist? And, And those questions are real questions, but I am under attack because of the uniqueness of me. If a white reporter were to ask that, who happened to be from a certain news network, they might get the side eye, but it would be, that's a question. Okay, I'm going to answer that in a way. But I get called out. I get called names. I have to have security. I'm a black woman who comes from a black man and woman who's five generations removed from a last known slave. I stand on the shoulders of this community and others who supported me, and I'm not going anywhere because the stakes are so high. And And one of the reasons why I'm not going anywhere, there are people who didn't give up for us because if it weren't for those people marching, and lost their life. It was, if it wasn't for Harriet Tubman, if it wasn't for Dr. King, if it wasn't for my dear friend Elijah Cummings, mm. I would not be in that room. And I thank God that I'm in that room. Yeah, Therese says I have a stiff upper lip, but sometimes, you know, I go home and I cry sometimes. And I talk to people and I try to keep my kids from watching what's happened to their mama. But at the end of the day, I've done nothing wrong. Nothing. Mm. Malcolm, how do you feel? I don't, I don't get it half as bad as April gets it. I, sometimes I look at their Twitter feeds and I go, man, are they just afraid of me? Um, but we're, to, we're talking about being black in the Trump era, and I come from a very unique perspective. Um, for those of you who know me or who weren't, weren't here in the last session, My family has served in the armed forces of the United States in every war from 1864 till today. 
every war, father and son. My niece is still in the Navy. She was in combat off of Yemen. Um, every Nance. I have Nances buried in five national cemeteries, including one that died in the Indian Wars, who's buried in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. There's a reason my great-great-grandfather and great-great-granduncle ran away from slavery in Alabama. Oh, by the way, they were actually slaves in Tennessee. And they went to Alabama to join a, a regiment of black volunteers to fight against the South which became the 111th U.S. Colored Troops. Now, why am I giving you this little history lesson? There is a reason we serve this nation, why I served in the armed forces and the intelligence community and still try to serve and keeping you all aware. And I want to point this message out to those of you who are in the audience who just may accidentally be here who are Trump supporters. I don't think you're racist. I just think you love a racist, which sort of makes you racist, but you have the opportunity to change. Because if there's one thing that I've learned with my family service to this nation, by the way, a combined 120 years of bone spurless military service. <laughs> And what's a bone spur? A bone spur is what you get when you're a coward. <laughs> no, that's just a fact, all right? I've been in combat five times, and I enjoyed it. But I will tell you what I didn't wow. do. I didn't run from the service to this nation. My great-great-grandfather, great-great-granduncle, grandfather-granduncle who served in World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Gulf War, Iraq, Afghanistan, we want this nation to succeed. The color of my skin has not been an impediment to that because we believe and love the Constitution above a man. An idiot, but still a man. And that's what we think is valuable. What Donald Trump has done, and we talked about this in my last event, he has destroyed the meaning of character and dignity and honor and courage and commitment and always being faithful and always being ready and living up to the values of my favorite president, who, by the way, is not Abraham Lincoln. I love me some Lincoln, though. <laughs> I am African-American. <laughs> my favorite is George Washington. Mm. Do you know why George Washington is my favorite president? It's not because he owns slaves. I understand the context of the original founders of this country. It isn't even Jefferson who had black kids. Okay? It's because Washington, Washington knew what the stakes were. For all their faults and hypocrisy of owning slaves, they knew there will be no future black or white, if the American experiment does not succeed. And we are failing. Every person who supports Donald Trump is helping the failure. He didn't do anything for black unemployment. No, no. I'm Preach. sorry. You got to thank the guy that literally saved the entire 
global economic system from collapse. Was he black? I think so. <laughs> Barack Obama. You can't, if you can't admit that as an American, you contribute to this nation's failure. You do not live up to my beloved constitution. I'm from Philadelphia. I take it personally when you insult the values of this nation. And then you hide behind, well, Kanye West has a MAGA hat. Uh, mm. he, well, you know what? That's one. You might want to count the other 39,999,000 of us who think he's an idiot. <laughs> so, that being said, before I turn it over to my comedian partner, <laughs> we love this nation. I call this American experiment fascinating for the six million slaves who thought, I'm not going to be free someday, but I will labor for nothing so that my children can live in a perfect union, a more perfect union. We are in trouble if this is the union we live in today because we have a racist, white supremacist-loving guy who thinks that killing Muslims, even while he is sending U.S. troops to protect other Muslims, that there are one-third of this nation thinks that he is the greatest president in the history of this country. I swear to God, I have heard that. Better than Washington, better than Lincoln, better than John F. Kennedy, who swam miles in shark-infested waters in World War II to save his shipmates? I swear to God, don't insult me with that. Donald Trump is nothing but a byproduct of the worst characteristics of America. And for African Americans, he has done less than zero. He has insulted our dignity, right? And he's insulted April, thinking she was a secretary. That offended me, and I was on the other side of the TV. Yep. There you go. Yep. Ellie, uh, how Malcolm's you running for president, so, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Malcolm 2020, right there. <laughs> Malcolm 2020. So... I have a theory about the 2016 election, and that is that no group of Americans took the 2016 election quite as hard as Americans like me, educated, hyper-educated African-American males, right? Black women were like, told you about Becky. I told you about Becky. Like, black women were not completely surprised, right? Every, every educated black man has that, that friend, that friend from back home, right? And that friend from back home always told you, man, white people ain't You can't trust no white man. They always told you that. But you, the educated black man, was just like, I, I just don't think Thurston would do this. <laughs> I've been to school with Chadwick. He has a bottom. And there's no way they would vote for Trump, right? And it is, it is, it is the watching the TV as they couldn't call Michigan and they couldn't call Pennsylvania. That's when black guys like me were like, Chad, why? Why are you doing this? I thought we were friends. They've been on your yacht. So the election hurt me personally because I have friends who are responsible for Donald Trump, right? They and not the MAGA hat friends, because who I don't have those friends. But I've got like the the Anthony Scaramucci friends, right? I've got the financier friends. I got the I have the friends 
who thought that my rights and my respectability and the respectability of my wife and her abilities um, were less important to them than a tax cut. Those are the friends that I mm. have. And so that I have taken personally, and that has been uh, losing those friendships, for instance, has been one of the worst parts about the Trump era, being, uh, being a black person in the Trump you era. you cut people out of your life? Oh, hells yeah. <laughs> hells yeah. Like, block, not unblock, don't call me no more. Like, you know, you have my number. When you figure out which Democrat you're going to vote for, give me a call. I'll help you out. But if you're still on, I don't want to talk to you anymore. So, no, I've cut people straight out of my life. Um, that's the negative side. But I, I want to say something positive about being black in the, during the Trump era. And that is, I don't have to pretend no more. I grow my hair out. <laughs> I can speak my mind. I don't have to pretend that Republicans are interested in having a pluralistic diversity society, diverse society, right? I don't have to play their game anymore, right? I don't have to pretend that Neil Gorsuch really has a deep principle about constitutional conser conservatism when he's actually obviously only about the, the continuation of white supremacy through the law. I do not have to pretend that Republicans actually care about the military when they clearly don't, right? I don't have to pretend that Republicans have a credible way to advance the decency of the country as it applies to all races. They clearly don't, and I know they don't because they voted for Donald Trump. You said, you said Gorsuch, you meant Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. I actually went at Gorsuch. Like, I, right. legally, I, I find Gorsuch to be particularly... Kav Kavanaugh is a whole different problem, right? Like, Kavanaugh is a whole, a whole different problem. Obviously, Republicans have never cared about women's rights issues, and Kavanaugh is the capstone on that. Um, and we don't have to pretend about that. We don't have to pretend what they're doing anymore. And that, from a certain perspective, is a little bit freeing, right? Yeah. It's, a little, it's, a, it's a little bit less like we have... We don't have to play, again... As, as a black person who, who has to go into these rooms and be around a certain kind of white people, I never have to pretend anymore that we're on the same team because we're not, and they showed me who they were in 2016. And now I can focus my energies and my efforts and my talents on defeating them as opposed to placating them. Mm. So that's actually kind of a good thing. Okay. Lexi, how are you feeling? Hi. Uh, that's all, all three of those are hard to follow up. I'm Alexi. I work with Axios. Um, you mentioned black men, so I just want to point out a quick fact that 13% of black men voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Yep. I'm not saying that's wrong or right. I'm just pointing out that that was more, it's than, wrong. more than three times. <laughs> but that was more than three times as many black women who voted for him, which yep. was just 4%. And that's fascinating to me as I'm thinking about this next election, how black men are feeling about politics. We hear a lot about how 2020 Democrats talk specifically to and about black women, which is super important. But I'm, I feel like black men are an anomaly when it comes to politics. I don't know how you all are feeling. I don't know why you voted for Trump in 2016 when you did. I don't know if you're going to vote for him again. I think that's a fascinating thing to explore and something I'm thinking about as we're thinking about race and politics. Um, I think that being black in Trump's America makes you realize and see more clearly the worst in people. We all have seen that before Trump. We will see it after Trump. But the number of emails or comments I get that's, you know, telling me that I only have my job because of affirmative action, I'm mm. like, fuck off. Mm. You know, like, who are you to say that to me? Right? And why do you feel empowered to email that to me when I'm doing my job and writing something that is factual about the president that you disagree with? That's more on you than it is about me being black and young right. and having this job that I have. On the flip side, I feel like I've grown and 
fostered so many amazing friendships, especially with other black women who are working on political campaigns, who are in journalism. We all sort of have come together in a way that I just haven't experienced before in my short career. And I feel like that is a really heartening part of this. It's like a, a sense of community and camaraderie that we all have that, not to say we didn't have that before, but I feel like it's something that's binding us and bringing us a little bit closer. I think you're always aware of your blackness no matter where you are. I'm proud to be black. I'm happy to be black. But I think that there are people now who want to make you realize that more and more about yourself and use that as something against you, whether that's to question how you got your job or where you came from, telling you to go back to where you came from when you've been here for generations, <laughs> um, questioning your own personal politics, the number of people who assume my, they know my personal politics because of the color of my skin, when again, we are not a monolith. And I think that's what's really fascinating is trying to work through all of that while also staying objective. It can be really, really hard. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing for me is being able to be in a newsroom that is still majority white, but having those conversations with my editors, hiring people who are people of color, who know a perspective that white people certainly do not when they're covering things about how the president is talking about race or using dog whistles or inspiring these things in people. I feel a privilege of sorts to be able to have those conversations and make changes in my own newsroom to make sure that the people who are covering all this crazy stuff actually look more like the country who is affected by all this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Amen to that. Maya, how you feeling? We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts.
influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. So, James Baldwin said, to be black in America is to be perpetually angry. Mm -hmm. So I'm pissed. Uh, and I, 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 and I, I, I want to share something. My mother said to me, both, my parents were civil rights organizers. Uh, and when Ronald Reagan was elected president in 1980, my mother said to me, I am so sorry because we really thought that we had changed things in this country. And the idea that Ronald Reagan, who, remember, launched his president, just presidential campaign in, in Philadelphia, Mississippi, where Goodman, Cheney, and Schwerner were mm-hmm. murdered mm-hmm. for registering black people to vote. Mm-hmm. And that was his dog whistle. That was his dog whistle that I am with you. And so, and I say that because it was, it was, you know, when we were all trying to raise the alarm bells around Ronald Reagan's racism or his willingness at minimum to use race as a wedge, but appealing explicitly to racism, no one listened. I mean, we listened, but you know. Uh, but you couldn't, everyone kept saying, oh, we're gone past race, then Obama's elected president, then we're really post-race. Uh, but this is to say, what, what we're seeing in, I'm pissed, but part of it was because my mother felt the need to apologize to me in 1980 for Ronald Reagan and for her generation's failure to make it different. And when my 15-year-old daughter said to me in November 2016 that America is not a safe space, I was apologizing to my daughter for it being worse than 1980. So, but, and I do want to end on one positive thing. And I'm sorry, I get ter- because, I mean, my kids, my kids, and I will say, my kids who said to me, the only president we've known is Barack Obama. What happened? And not having an answer to that, that's a good one. Except to say, this has been building since 1980. This is not new. This is a building symptom of racism we have never really confronted in this nation. But I will say, and along the lines of the other positive aspects to this, I will say uh, the number of people who are white who have realized we ain't post-race, racism is real, white supremacy is a phrase we now see on cable news. That's new. But thirdly, and I want to understand what I have missed. And on one level, it is really annoying 
I'm gonna say, I mean, it is hard and annoying to constantly have to explain what we think should be obvious. But at the same time, I want to say how important it is to be asked the question because at least it tells me that perhaps the devastation that Donald Trump is reeking on our nation for all the reasons we've already said, at least maybe now we can have an honest conversation about what racism is, what work it does, and whether or not we're finally going to be able to acknowledge that we can and should win the Civil War. Brianna, how are you feeling? Um, I, I, a lot of what has been said resonates with me. I think being black in America can often feel like you're being gaslit. Mm. Um, and a strangely uh, relieving consequence of Donald Trump being president and him saying the quiet part loud so often is that it has gone from feeling like gaslighting to an open kind of expression of racism that is not fun but is psychologically releasing in some strange way, not to have to have, uh, you know, difficult conversations, these unnecessarily tangled conversations with people about subtext and dog whistling and all these kinds of things. It's pretty difficult to deny what's going on. Um, but another thing that's striking on the opposite end is how demoralizing it is to realize that the substantive life experiences of so many people in my community has changed, unfortunately, little between a Trump presidency and prior administrations. And by that I mean that overwhelmingly the needs of my community, a predominantly working class community, I personally, my, my mother comes from Cleveland, Ohio, a Midwestern community, um, has been let down by the political establishment for years in a nonpartisan way. And so what has happened simultaneously with the rise of Trump was also the rise of a progressive movement that for the first time in a really long time started to pay attention to those needs and concerns that have been largely overlooked. And there was another kind of catharsis in that as well, to say that the gaslighting that has occurred from being a human being who thinks, I don't agree with the death penalty and I would like a candidate that agrees with me on that, which we didn't have in 2016. To have a candidate that believes that every, every person deserves health care in this country, regardless of if they're born poor. A candidate who doesn't see $15 minimum wage as a lark, but as a baseline floor for what we should be talking about, given that black Americans are disproportionately working at the sub-$15 minimum wage. And over, uh, I forget the exact statistic, but over 50% of black Americans would get a raise if we were to have a $15 minimum wage. So there is, I'm, I'm, I'm torn because election night, I remember I was, I was in the gym because I don't have cable. Uh, and I was watching the TV there, and it was late, and it was me and an, an older white woman um, were the last ones left. And she had given up and sat down with her head in her hands on the end of a treadmill watching the results come in. So I was furiously running angrily to, like, Tucker Carlson in my ear. Um, oh, boy. And <laughs> he, 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 helps me, he helps me go when I have to train for a half marathon. Uh, <laughs> and I, I remember feeling frustration at how upset she was. Um, I, it was, you know, in a, good, a, fan, a wealthy neighborhood in New York City. She was an affluent person, I presumed, because she was there. And I remember thinking, you know, she seems to be having a, a, a come-to-Jesus moment and realizing what, the, what was possible in America, what kind of country this is. And my reaction was that, I, I told you so, this could happen <laughs> reaction. And then we were going to work the next day, and the subway being so quiet you could hear a pin drop. Yep. And again, just being angry yep. and everyone else being sad. 
And I remember listening to all the podcasts I listened to and people tearing up and having these reactions, including black people, and me being angry at how upset they were. Um, because there was a part of me that felt like this was a long time coming and feeling some kind of um, satisfaction, not satisfaction, that's not the right word, but um, like the, the gaslighting that I had experienced because the broader political movement that I had been a part of was no longer, um, no longer sustainable. That the, the curtain had been pulled off of the country's racism and the curtain had also been pulled off of the country's inability to attend to the needs of the working class who are, again, predominantly disproportionately black and brown. And that this is a moment of opportunity. Um, and so I'm still living in that in-between place and enjoying a certain kind of optimism about the resurgence of the progressive movement and how much it is being, it is attending to the people that have so largely been left behind in this country. And it's part of why I'm so proud to be part of the Bernie Sanders campaign, which does have the least white, the most female, and the most working class constituency of any, any candidate in the race. So it's a big panel. I want to have a conversation. I don't want to just direct questions to everybody. There's a couple of questions that I want to see if people have a passionate desire to respond to. So let me know if you don't have a passionate desire to respond to the question. It's fine because I want to get through a bunch of questions. Um, and just the introduction was half an hour, right? Just because there's so much feeling and there's so many people in the panel. Has the election of Trump and the response to him, the rise in hate crimes the rise in racism, has it changed how you feel about America? Oh, that's a good question. You're, 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 you're a soldier boy. You're, you know, G.I. Joe, go. <laughs> Malcolm. No. Well, uh, it hasn't changed how I feel about America. Uh, I've had to, to live through a lot of adversity as a person who defended this country. And I mean a lot of adversity. I mean, war, strife. I mean, I didn't get married till I was 42 because I, I was just so fascinated that the things that I was doing were so critical. And if I could actually tell you some of the secrets, and I'm not gonna, you would just be so grateful for the people that did what they did yesterday, right? Going after this guy, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, Right? There are bad people in this world. And you know what they like? Mm -hmm. They hate the name America. But America to them is not a bunch of white guys. It's not a bunch of black guys. It's your passport color. All right? I was on a mission in which an American service member was on an aircraft that had been hijacked. There were four American service members on them, and two were being horribly tortured and beaten at the front of the aircraft. Okay? One of them was named Robert Stetham, who was eventually shot in the head and pushed out onto the tarmac of the ground because he was an American and a service member. But the other person who was being tortured very horribly was a guy by the name of Clinton Suggs, a black Navy sailor, CB. They did not care about the color of these people. They cared that you were American. And so what I see when I hear America is the best of the values that we all agreed to by saying that we are American. And so what I'm seeing now is I'm seeing this nascent, rising, what was underground, bubbling hatred and racism that's still an affect of the Civil War. Again, like Ely said, we can see it now. 
I call people out. I did it in my last session. I asked for my Trump voters, right? Where are my Trump voters at? Why y'all support? Why do you support a man that is openly racist? Why? No, no, no. Wait a minute, wait a minute. No, We're not no, there no. yet. We're this not there yet. Test. We're not there. We're not question. there yet. It's a rhetorical Because question. I defended your right every second of my life. Every second of my life. But you know what? The beautiful part about being an American is that I don't care if you're an idiot. I defend you. I defend you and I defend your right to say anything stupid and vote okay. for who you want. But you know what I will never give up on? I will never give up on the belief that we can move forward past this dark time and make the American project more perfect. Go ahead, April. So, so let me say something really fast. Um, we are a nation that is still trying to move forward. And what I still remember... It's what our founding fathers put forth those pillars. And our founding fathers had slaves, but they never imagined a Barack Obama or a Donald Trump, and they did not imagine an April Ryan in that room. Mm -hmm. But we still stand on that. We, right, we stop. We are still trying to find our way. We're going through growing pains right now, but I still have hope. You know, again, I'm going back to the history of this nation. We've had issues racially from the moment Mm -hmm. Christopher Columbus decided to come to this land. Mm -hmm. We've had, we have had issues racially from the moment of the inception of this land. And at some point, we're all going to look at each other and say, okay, there are laws in the books. You know, there was a time not so long ago when this panel was not able to be in this building. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm 52. In the 50s, Dr. King came up in March. Only 4% of black churches supported him. And there was something called the Civil Rights Act that created it so that we could all be here together to freely express our opinion about who we like or who we don't like. But at the end of the day, we have to remember, and I am black, white, Jew, Gentile, Protestant, and Catholic. I don't care. The bottom line we have to remember is that Those founding fathers set forth something that still stands today. We, the people, who are still forming a more perfect union. So when there is Charlottesville, when there is all of this crazy stuff, the narratives that are lies, it takes one person to make a difference. Look at Harriet Tubman. She took the profit off the master's land and still kept going and made a difference. Dr. King only had 4% of black churches behind him. And we are now able to sit here and say what we have to say to one another. This is about freedom for all people, not just freedom for one group. And I still have hope. That's one of the reasons why I stay every day and ask questions because there was a time that we couldn't say anything or ask a question. And I'm gonna keep on asking, no matter the president. I've been there for Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Hussein Obama, and now Donald John Trump, and whoever the next one will be, I will be there as well. Um, Ellie and Lexi. There's a there's a white female artist named Kate Kretz who took and you can see her work on Instagram. She took a bunch of Trump hats, the Make America Great Again hats, and cut them up 
and made them into a clan hood. And it crystallized for me something that I had felt, but I had not been able to articulate. That when I see that hat, it hits me the same way a clan hood would. Ellie, is a MAGA hat the new clan hood? Funny thing about the clan hood is that there was a time in this nation where people would be embarrassed to be openly bigoted. The clan hood was a sign that they even understood that it was socially inappropriate to be openly bigoted, openly racist, and openly um, violent towards non-white people. The MAGA hat is what tells you they don't have to worry about that no more. Trump hoods off. Trump has given them license to be all they can be, to be all the bigotry and all the racism and all the misogyny. He's given them license to be all of that out in public, in person. And if you fight with them too much, they will claim free speech. They will say you were taking away their free speech should you dare question their moral and ethical philosophy. Um, the MAGA hat is interesting to me because it is, it is an, it's, it's a self-registration, right? This is from the same. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Kind of group of people that generally doesn't like registration acts and doesn't like government control. They are self-identifying for you who they are and what they are about. And they are self-identifying that what they are about is not caring enough about what who you are and who you are about to even show you the, the basic respect as we all were taught, I'm sure, by our parents, of taking off your hat while you're inside. <laughs> Brianna? I, I just want to jump in to say that sometimes I'm a little worried that because of how objectionable Trump is, we talk about him and, and racism in the Trump era as though he invented it. And there was, you know, there was an article by uh, Todd Music Coates last year, whom, whom I really admire a great deal, but which I disagreed with because it was called the first white president and characterized Donald Trump as kind of uniquely virulent in this kind of a way. 
And I think there was a stylistic difference. Um, but I don't know that substantively, when you look at what has actually happened to black people over the history of this country, when you look at the Klan hood as, as not just, you know, part of it was to hide privacy, not because of being ashamed of racism, right, but because of being ashamed of the fact, wanting to hide the fact that you're actually committing crimes and murder and terrorizing people, right, things that are actually against the law. Um, so I just, I just want to be careful because I don't want us to end up in a place where we're just trying to return to a status quo, which was also not, not adequate. Right. And there was a poll that was cited a lot following Trump's election that showed that something like 40-odd percent of Trump voters believed a number of abhorrent things about black people were intellectually inferior, were prone to violence, etc. And this poll was passed around a lot. And, you know, liberals, you know, Hillary voter, I mean, the poll was framed as Hillary voter, Donald Trump voter, Bernie voter, so that's why I say Hillary voter. We, we you know, pat, patted ourselves in the back and said, okay, we're better. But if you keep reading the poll, something like 25 percent of Hillary voters thought the same thing. So it's, it's not as many, but it's a substantial percentage of Democratic voters. Um, you know, and the Bernie Sanders line, which was often left off of that poll, was the only one down in the single digits, just for, to note. But the, the point of my saying that is just to say that this is, racism is, is influenced by partisanship, but is not a purely partisan issue. And I would hate for us to get into a place where we're trying to kind of leverage it or if it's perceived as though we're leveraging what's such an important issue for political benefit instead of saying that overall we should all be working toward a world that is left le less racist and if there are people who might not understand how we feel because I, I feel similarly when I see a MAGA hat a kind of hostility um, that if they, that they can hear that and perhaps dialogue and have a conversation about it. There are people who are lost causes, I know, because I've been out on the rallies and I've been on the ground and I understand that all those conversations don't go well. But there are some people who, for whom that is genuinely a surprise um, and, I, and who might take it in bad faith if we don't also recognize that there is an awful lot of um, virulence kind of to go around. I would agree with that. And I would also just point out the fact that in the Trump era, since he's become president, You've seen Republicans up and down the ballot going out of their way to embrace Trumpian style of politics, which can be incredibly racist, to push racist policy proposals and laws that they want to see enacted to say more racist things, and seeing how Republicans who want to be part of this party and get votes from fellow Americans move in this way to be more Trump-like is shocking to me because it's showing that it is not just Trump, of course, but it is something that has seeped into the Republican Party at large. And it's not just from candidates who go out of their way to embrace him to get elected. It's from folks who are in Congress on Capitol Hill who coalesce around him, who hold their mouths shut and, and you know, say things critical behind closed doors but don't have the courage to do, to do so when they're public. Oh, stop saying mean things about Pierre Delecto. <laughs> And I think that's, that's what makes me view America a little differently. When you see not just President Trump or the people who speak against him, but the ways in which people emulate him and, and gravitate toward him and want to support more people who are like him. And I think that this idea that, you know, you're a Trump supporter and you wear that like a badge of honor, I mean, fine, but you have to be more critical and self-reflective when you're thinking about what that means for the rest of the country. You have to think about, okay, if you're a single issue, issue voter, then that's, I don't think, a great way to vote. But if you're someone who is supporting Trump proudly in 2020 after seeing everything that he's done to further divide the country. When we look at the psychology of racism, a, a big part of it is we, we assume it's something that can't be undone. 
but that's actually not true. And one of the things that predates all of this is that we've actually increased the amount of racial, racial segregation and isolation that was part of the retrenchment from the victories of the civil rights movement. In other words, we've gone backwards and we were going backwards before 2016. Well, to, so, to that, Maya, yeah. are we talking about mob mentality to where people feel comfortable to join him and after Trump is out of office, we'll see somewhat of return to the racist norm we had before? Or will yeah, this level this continue is, well, after because they've been allowed to unmask? Well, so this is kind of my point. First of all, hate, the number of hate groups and hate crimes were increasing before Donald Trump was elected. That, that is not an election issue, although it is true that what we have seen is the permission of leadership that permits the language of racism that permits, and in, and in, in some instances he has explicitly incited violence, has been linked to an increase in violence, and 60% of hate crimes are against black people. Now, we've had way too big a jump for Islamophobia, we've had way too big a jump for anti-Semitism, uh, and for trans people in particular, particularly trans women of color. So I'm not, it's not only about black people. But I do want to say 60% of reported hate crimes are against black people. But the point is, it, it all predated Trump. And it absolutely can continue after him, although it does make a difference if you have a leader, an elected leader, and particularly the most powerful, giving permission. And so, but, but I want to go back to root cause, because root cause is, if we don't, and again, this isn't just about partisan politics, plenty of Democrats who will not choose to live in an integrated neighborhood because there are too many black people in it, will not choose to go to an integrated school because there are too many black kids in it. And if we don't start confronting that, if we don't start confronting that, then we have no one to blame than ourselves for people like Donald Trump getting elected through explicit racism. I think this has been an extraordinary session. I want to thank everyone for being so open and so candid. I feel under siege. I feel the country that I thought I knew changing and growing into something that is frightening. I'm not sure when we will return to something that I They want you to be proud. afraid. You cannot be afraid. How can I not? How can you not? Because you have a right just like they do, to feel any kind of way you feel. As long as you continue to be who you are, pay your taxes, and do right by the community, you're fine. Can I I kind of agree with Trey for a second? Because, like, I, th I think one of the fears that we didn't get to talk about a lot, and I think it's really important, is that I have to raise kids in this society yeah. now, right? I do, too. And, 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 I, and I know a lot of, of people up here are parents. Um, it, the fear that I have is not for myself. It, it is absolutely for the, for the world that my, my kids are going to inherit. And just trying to navigate them around this new metastasized, open, licensed um, racism that even I did not necessarily have to deal with when I was growing up. Like, my mom was born in 1950 in Mississippi. She got to deal with it, right? But then I kind of got a pass a little bit, yeah. I realize now. Um, compared to what my kids then are going to have to deal with, and so I think when Teresa says fear, like the fear for me comes for comes from for, from looking at my kids and trying to figure out how they're going to make it. The generations. If, if to I come. if I could just make well maybe this is better. I can just make quick comment to end this on this. You know, I come from this completely different perspective of service above myself, above all 
so that we as a collective body of American citizens can live with the promise that we had of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. When I'm in Iraq, I am not checking to see if you wore a MAGA hat. When I'm in Libya, I am not checking to see if you voted for Barack Obama. I want you to keep your opinions to yourself when it comes to the collective security of this nation. I think of every one of you as my brothers and sisters of whom I have to protect. That's right. But when you go to tribalism, mm. and I see 40% of you think that you're better than the other 60%, I still have to suppress that. Because you know what? In my world, where someone is trying to kill you or hunt your brother or your sister who is in the armed forces down, I have one phrase in my mind. One team, one fight. I do not get that from the Trump side. I hear my team, screw you. The Constitution of the United States is what I have sworn my oath to. Not to a man, not to a woman, but the chair of the President of the United States. If you cannot work with the other 60% as your fellow Americans then you need to go and live where that ex-KGB director that is pulling the strings here lives because you're not an American. This has been an extraordinary panel. I want to thank April Ryan, Ellie Mistol, Malcolm Nance, Lexi McCammon, Brianna Gray, Maya Wiley. You're all extraordinary Americans. Thank you all. Thanks to April, Malcolm, Ellie, Lexi, Maya, Brianna, and everybody who came to hear, well, not everybody, our great panel about being black in the age of Trump. Torrey Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps. And tell your friends about this show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back next Wednesday, no doubt, with another amazing guest, because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.